Thank you guys, worship team. That, that was uh, those song selections uh, and the way that y'all did that this morning is just such the perfect tone for the passages we're going to read. The passage we're going to read today and uh, the theme that we're discussing this Advent season. We are back in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. I was sick last week, and so Chuck Askew came and preached. Uh, on Lazarus, uh, sorry, on, on Zacchaeus, and I was really grateful to have Chuck uh, stand in last week. Uh, we're back in Matthew 24 and 25 today, and I want to invite you to read along with me as I read aloud. You're welcome to read aloud as well. We're going to read verses 29 through 31, and also 36 through the end of that chapter, through 51. So let's listen to God's word together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. From one end of heaven to the other. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, this year I am dreaming about an apocalyptic advent, and I understand exactly how crazy that sounds. I mean, apocalyptic advent, what kind of person dreams about an apocalyptic advent? I mean, when you hear the word apocalyptic, probably you think of movies. Uh, we, we have a genre of movies in American movie going that are apocalyptic movies, movies like Mad Max or The Book of Eli or Twelve Monkeys. Uh, or, or the book of the I Am Legend, or you know, and even there's a kid version of this. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs is a is a kid version of the same thing. And so when I say 
apocalyptic advent, after the year that we've had, <laughs> some of you are probably like, we need to find this man not a red coat, but a nice white one, and take him to a special place. Um, so we've had a, quite enough of crazy this year, haven't we? Um, but, but when I say apocalyptic, I mean that in the way that the Bible uses the word. Because the Bible doesn't use the word in the way that we think of it. When we think of apocalyptic, we think of it as cataclysmic destruction. So sometimes I've heard people say, September 11th, that apocalyptic day in American history. Like the destruction of that day. But the word doesn't mean crazy, and it doesn't mean destruction. The word apocalypse actually means reveal or unveil. And so, really, the best way I could use this, let me give you this example. I do a lot of weddings, and imagine me up front, and there's a groom right here. And what happens at that moment, you, you know the moment in the, in the wedding service where they open the doors, and the bride comes through the doors. That would be called the apocalypse of the bride, <laughs> the, the revealing of the bride, the unveiling of the bride. That would be actually the, right, the biblical use of that term. Because it's something revealed. And today, we're again picking up Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, some teaching that Jesus did just a few days before he was put on the cross, a few days before his death and resurrection. And he's teaching on when and what is happening with the end of time. What are the end times? And it's all about the revealing of Jesus, the, the unveiling of Jesus in his second coming. So here's my thesis for this morning. Our celebration of Advent and Christmas, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, should in some ways match that. You know, I think the world views the season of Advent as the four weeks of shopping, right? The four weeks to get ready uh, for the apocalypse of your family, right? Uh, or, but, but there has to be more than ad, to Advent than that. And I think sometimes the church has treated this like a minor disruption that after which things can be set back in order. So you have your uncle who comes to visit, and it disrupts the flow of the family for a couple days, but it's soon kind of made right again. But we need more to Advent than that. Like So when we sing the song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely advent here, or exile here, until the Son of God appear, we need to ask, well, when he shows up, what do we think he's going to do? When he shows up, what, what exactly are we waiting for and hoping for? So this morning, here's my outline, very simple. I'm going to ask the same question three times. Do you know what time it is? I'm going to ask, do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? And do you know what time it is? So let's start with the first one. Do you know what time it is? Well, Jesus has told us it is the time between Advents. It's the time in between Advents. Now, let's be honest. Nobody really likes the word in between. You know, to say you're in between jobs, that's not a great circumstance. Something has ended, and you're hoping something else begins. To be in between relationships also. Not a nice place to be. Or even we have this in our families. If you have a family with three or more kids, you have the middle child. 
right? In between the siblings. Again, not always the nice place to be. And here's what we learned from Matthew 24. We live in the in-between. We live in a time in between two Advents. The word Advent actually just means arrival. So you could go to RDU Airport, and they could have departures and Advents. Um, Advent means arrival. We live, live between the time we celebrate at Christmas, looking backward to the first arrival of Jesus, and looking forward to the second arrival of Jesus. That's what we're doing in this place of Advent. And like in, other in-betweens, this in-between is also a place of discomfort. You know, and in fact, there's a name for the in-between in which we live. It's called tribulation. Did you notice this in the passage? It's actually used three times in this whole chapter. Verse 9, verse 21, verse 29. The tribulation. The tribulation is not a future 1,000-year period. We live now in a time of tribulation, the time of hardship, a time when this feels uncomfortable. Remember what, we, what Jesus told us about this period. We reviewed this a couple weeks ago. He said this, false Christs are going to come during this time. Don't be fooled. The world is going to get crazy, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. The brokenness of the world doesn't mean anything about the brokenness of my plan. You're going to have to be ready. Being ready means taking care of others. And finally, all of this is going to have to happen, and you're going to have to persevere. And we need to know that because life is hard in the in-between. See, if you don't read these passages, if you're not aware of what the Bible tells us about this life, you will think that 2020 has been a cosmic alarm bell, that somehow God has also been caught off guard, when in fact Jesus said, it's going to be hard. There are going to be seasons like this. And along comes Matthew 24 and says, this is a time of in-betweens. This is a time of tribulation. But we persevere not just in, in, in just misery. We persevere, Jesus shows us here, in hope. Look, look at verses 30 through 31 about the next advent. He says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a trumpet call. They will gather his elect from four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now Jesus tells his disciples... What's going to happen in the next advent? That he's going to come with the clouds, on the clouds. I mean, and, and that's not just to help us envision it, like Jesus surfing on the clouds, coming back. This is actually laden with huge meaning if you know your Bible. The picture there of the clouds is really important because it goes back to an Old Testament story. In fact, a series of depictions of God with his people represented by clouds. So, for example, in the Exodus, God's presence enters the temple as a cloud. In fact, it's called the Shekinah glory of God. Shekinah means dwelling. God dwelling with his people in the first as a tabernacle in the tabernacle around his people and then in the temple with all his people around him. God dwelling with his people. In the Exodus story, Moses goes up on the mountain and receives the law of God, the two tablets, and the mountain is described as covered with smoke and clouds. Again, the Shekinah glory of God, the, 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 the cloud that 
shows us God's presence is right here. When God leads his people in Exodus, a pillar of cloud goes before them in the day, a pillar of fire goes before them in the night. Again, Shekinah, the dwelling of God with his people. And, And this is what's so amazing about the first advent, about the incarnation, the coming of Jesus at Christmas, that Jesus tabernacled with human flesh and was handled and seen. You know the words? From John 1, all the, and the word became flesh, and he shekinahed among us. He dwelled among us. We beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when Jesus says, I'm coming with the clouds, that's not to help you just picture the backdrop. It's not just to help you kind of visualize it. He's saying, I'm coming with a purpose. See, that those clouds tell us the purpose. Jesus coming back to dwell again in the new earth with his people. Dwelling with us. Glory with us. You know, it tells us what Jesus is going to do. Several years ago, I remember hearing someone teaching on the book of Revelation. And they described how Jesus is going to come back and make all things new. Of course, there's the word straight out of Revelation but I'd never thought about this before because the, the, the person at the time said, not all new things, not all new things, but all things new. And isn't that what we want? Aren't there tastes that you have of things in this life that are glorious and beautiful and they point to something beyond this life? Jesus, it shows us in scripture, is not going to wad up the world like a McDonald's wrapper. After he removes what's good, wrought up the wrapper and throw it away. Jesus is going to make all things new. And that's good news for us because there are things in this life like bacon and beaches and sunsets and salsa and mocha and mountains. I mean, things that we're like, this is so good. This is sort of a taste of something beyond this life. And Jesus says, it's all things new. All things new. Those things that you enjoy in this life are going to be glorified and made new and perfected in the life to come, including you, including you. He's going to make you work right, too, with a body that's healed, with emotions that feel absolutely right, with laughter and no more tears. And see, you can understand why the disciples are like, well, when? When when are these things going to happen? I mean, that's the questions the disciples wanted to know. That's the question we want to know. When, Jesus? Verse 3, in the beginning of this passage, they ask that very question. And and there's been a lot of confusion around this that's been manufactured right here in America, actually. Uh, We've been the source of a lot of confusing material about this. I mean, for example, you would think that verse 36 did not appear in our Bibles by the way the American church operates. Remember what Jesus said concerning the day and the hour? No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. There's a huge second coming industry in the Christian church in America. And it's odd. There's some weird, wacky stuff out there. Um, But many preachers and books and churches have acted like, oh, yeah, we can figure out when this is going to happen, and we will tell you. But Jesus tells us remarkably the one thing that he doesn't know. The Father knows. Jesus doesn't know. Jesus, the omniscient one, who knows everything, who could look at a person and tell them their thoughts, what does Jesus say? I don't even know 
when this is going to happen. I don't even know. And there's been a lot of nonsense that's sort of been created by the left behind books and even dispensational theology around this uh, about a rapture. Look at verses 37 through 41. See, uh, you'll hear a rapture is when God takes the believers out of the world and leaves the unbelievers here to suffer. But is this on par with what we read here in Scripture? I mean, look, look here. In the days of Noah, who was left behind? You know, who was left behind? Noah and his family. The, the believers were left behind. The unbelievers were swept away. Uh, the examples of the two men working the field. The believers left behind. The unbelievers swept away. The two women working the, the mill, grinding grain. The believers left behind. The unbelievers swept, swept away. We're going to see this over and over. The, the parable of the ten virgins. The parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheep are left behind. The goats are swept away. You know, it's, again, this is, this is the picture. The, the whole rapture business is not biblical either. The people of God not taken up to heaven out of tribulation, leaving the unbelievers to suffer. The whole rapture idea comes from a misunderstanding of 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. And the picture there is, is not believers being taken out of this world, but exactly what we read here in verses 30 through 31. Jesus coming back with the clouds and those who are his rising up to meet him in the air and welcoming the king back to the earth. It's like a king who's been on a journey coming back to the castle, riding his horse, and the people leave the castle to come out and welcome the king. Come on back in. And there's a huge party as he's welcomed back. That's what we see in Scripture. So, again, do you know what time it is? This in-between, it's a time of waiting and watching. This is when the church does sing. Oh, come, Emmanuel. Come. We cry out for the second advent. This is why I'm dreaming of an apocalyptic advent this year. You know, uh, uh, it's the church's choice to participate in hope to participate in hope of what God is going to do. Now, this is complex. Because what we read in Scripture is that there is an end that's also a beginning. And in a sense, of course, when Jesus came and died and was raised again, there was an end. There, were, there was shaking. There was thunder. There were people who raised up from their graves. There were things that we read about in the first advent that tell us that that was an end and a beginning, the beginning of God's Spirit poured out on His people, the beginning of the era of the church, the beginning of God in Jesus bringing His kingdom. And yet, we know this isn't all there is. See, the advent Jesus announced here is in a matter of speaking, it's earth-shattering. And Jesus gives us these words. He tells us, I want you to know what life in the tribulation is going to be like so you don't freak out. So you don't lose your heads. You know that this is going somewhere. God's advent in Christ, it brings an end to the old order and a looking to what's new and a hungering and a longing. You know, it's, it's the sense of things being shaken, which always makes us afraid, but being shaken so they can be made right. Do you know what time it is? 
looking, waiting, watching. Second, do you know what time it is? Do you know? I want to emphasize the word know because that word is emphasized over and over in this whole chapter. We read here in verse 32, from the fig tree or in this lesson, as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. Verse 33, you, so also when you see these things, you know he's near at the very gates. Verse 36, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Verse 39, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. Verse 43, we know this, but know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. Verse 50, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know. Why all this business about the word know? Well, there's a distinction. Jesus is making a point. You know, there, there's a difference between what you know and what you know know. You know how people say that? What you know and what you know know. And Jesus is making that distinction because the word in the Greek can either mean knowledge of something, knowledge about something, or knowing something comprehensively inside and out. That's why many of you will remember that there's a Hebrew idiom for sexuality around knowing. A man knowing a woman, a woman knowing a man is comprehensive knowledge. See, Jesus is saying to us, it's one thing to know about the second coming. It's another thing to know, know the second coming. It's one thing to know about the biblical doctrine of the end times. It's another thing to live out the biblical doctrine of the end times. C.S. Lewis, an Oxford professor, said it this way in an essay called The World's Last Night. He says, the doctrine of the second coming has failed so far as we have concerned if it doesn't make us realize that at every moment of every year in our lives, we're asking the question, what if this present moment was the world's last night? He goes on to say this, what's important is not that we should always live in fear of the end of things, but we should always remember and take it into an account. An analogy may help. A man of 70 shouldn't always be feeling and worrying about his approaching death, but a wise man of 70 should always take it into account. He would be a foolish man to embark on schemes that supposed another 30 or 40 years of his life. He would be foolish indeed not to make a will. <coughs> Excuse me. He's saying this, do you know, know the second coming? In a lot of ways, we don't want to be one of those churches that overemphasizes the end times, where we're always living in fear or anxiety, where we're always talking about this, where our church is always trying to figure out, hey, who's the beast? Is it Biden or is it Trump or is it the Pope? Uh, you know, we're always kind of worried about and fixated on the future, but I don't think that's our problem, CTK. I think our problem is one of actually underemphasizing the second coming. See, as Lewis says, what death is to each man, the second coming is to all of us together. We all believe that a person should remember how short and precarious and temporary and provisional a life, a thing life is. What modern Christians find it harder to remember is that the whole of the humanity in this world is also 
precarious and temporary and provisional. So again, he's not asking, do you know about this? He's saying, do you know, know about this? You know, I think one upside of 2020, if there's an upside to 2020, one upside to 2020 is that this year hasn't worked out for anybody. It hasn't worked out for anybody like we thought. Everybody is dealing with disappointment and sorrow. You know, I've said this over and over again. I think that Raleigh, North Carolina may be the most spiritually dangerous place to live in the country and maybe in the world. You know, this place that's on all the lists of the best of and the best place to. And it tricks us into thinking that this life will deliver on all its campaign promises. It makes us think, this world, yes, this is our oyster. This is all there is. It attracts people here like flies to a carcass. Um, and it's dangerous. But I think it's a gift from God. If, there, if we can look for any silver lining to 2020, and I say this uh, as a pastor very carefully, because I know there's a lot of grief in our congregation. But if it's possible, I think that 2020 has been a good reminder that this is not all there is. You know, I was growing up, there was a commercial on for an aftershave uh, by Menon. Uh, and, and it was an uh, aftershave commercial that actually made John Goodman famous, uh, a skin bracer. And you see him up at a mirror, and he's just finished shaving, and he's putting on a little aftershave. And he's like, you know, some aftershaves are too weak, some are too strong. But then he puts on the, the one that's being sold, and it's, he smacks himself across the face, and he's like, wow, thanks, I needed that. You know, and then the, that's the uh, tagline for this. And, you know, I think that 2020 in the best way has maybe been like that for us. In the best way, it said, thanks, I needed that. I, re- I needed to remember that this life isn't all there is. It doesn't deliver on its promises. It can't. And I need to know, know today that there is more to come. So, so last time I'll ask the question, do you 
Do you know what time it is? Do you know? The rest of this teaching in the Olivet Discourse is interestingly in all in parable form. There's six parables, three short ones and three longer ones. We're going to look over those over the next couple of weeks. Um, do you know what the word parable means? It means something lying in the way. Picture uh, your dad's shoes that you fall over in the den, right? He's left them out again, right? So you trip over your dad's shoes. It's something lying in the way. And, and parables are never meant to give more information, but to help us internalize information. In these parables that, that are to come, Jesus doesn't give us any more information. He just takes all of Matthew 24 and helps us to live into it and internalize it. So apocalyptic literature in the Bible, uh, parts of Daniel and 1 Thessalonians and Revelation and Ezekiel and the Olivet Discourse, uh, lots of parts here, are apocalyptic literature. And they, they require us to think not like a 21st century American, but like a 1st century Hebrew. And to use our imaginations, and this is hard for us, and this is where actually the kids in our congregation may be the most helpful people going through this, because kids have access to an imagination that adults turn off. You know, adults tend to know more about amortization tables and bills and uh, tax brackets and things like that. But, you know, kids, kids are good at imagination. These parts of the Bible are not meant to be read like a photo where we get up really close and try to figure out all the parts. They're more to be like an impressionistic painting. You know what an impressionistic painting is like? It's a painting where if you get really close to it, it just looks like blobs of color on a canvas. But if you back up and back up and back up, you're like, oh, a sailboat in a sunset. It's beautiful. They're meant to give you an impression, not details, not details. And so we need to look at these parables over the next few weeks and ask, they're asking us the question, do you know what time it is? Do you know? For example, uh, we, we read last time I preached on the parable of the fig tree. It's only one line. Jesus says this, you learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. See, what's Jesus saying? Well, we know this really well. We just watched all the leaves fall off. And we know that somewhere around March, we'll start seeing buds. And we'll see, start seeing things come back. And Jesus is saying, you can look at the seasons and you know how to interpret the seasons. Do you know my seasons? Do you recognize this? That I'm going to bring the ultimate spring and summer. Right? I, I'm going to bring the ultimate sunlight after centuries of winter. So, see, Jesus is saying, can you imagine? Do you know what time it is? Do you know? You know, the questions we're going to wrestle with in these next few weeks are, are like the question that Lewis says. Are, are you like the 70-year-old man? Do you recognize that this can be the world's last night? Are you living with expectation and hope? of what is to come. I'll close with this. Maybe you remember this as a kid. Maybe some of you are kids and you know this. But you know that feeling the night before Christmas? That like, and we've had kid after kid who just could not sleep. I mean, they would be awake for hours. And you know, they're just the, like, that excitement that runs all the way through. 
and, and that like anticipation, and I just can't wait for tomorrow morning. And I think all of us can remember some version of that. Now, I know it's hard to apply that to the second coming of Jesus. I mean, for us, that seems like, wow, it's been like, what, almost 2,000 years, Jesus? We're supposed to live like that tomorrow? I mean, really? But the, the word tells us, God's word tells us that with the Lord, a thousand years are like a day gone by. And a day is like a thousand years. God who dwells in eternity looks on our time and it just moves like this. And, it, you know, I think that's, it's helpful. Uh, eternity compared to a lifespan of 78 years, there's no comparison. It's kind of like Jordan Lake and the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, the Jordan Lake is the biggest air, look in our area. It's, it's huge. I don't know anybody who could swim all the length of Jordan Lake. It's almost 16 miles. I mean, it's enormous. But compared to the Atlantic Ocean, what a joke. I mean, it's, it's a drop. It's a drop. It's nothing. It's nothing. You know, this life that we're in is like Jordan Lake to the Atlantic Ocean. And there will come a day on the other side of this life where those who have already gone to be with the Lord, they're like, yeah, you know what? We thought that was so long. And do you know what Jesus and the saints who have passed before us are doing right now? Can't wait. It's going to happen. It's going to be amazing. Because they have in their heads eternity. You and I, brothers and sisters, who have been born again, have been born again as eternal beings. You know, this life isn't 78 years old, long. It's eternity. It's a vector that starts at a, at a point and goes to eternity future. And there will come a time where we're like, Man, that seems so long. What were, what were we, really, we really thought that was long? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, teach us to hope. Teach us to hope. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.